We will never leave you, even in the face of our death. The richness of our lives shall be yours. All that I have, all that I've learned, everything I feel, all this and more, I, I bequeath you, my son. You will carry me inside you, all the days of your life. You will make my strength your own. See my life through your eyes, as your life will be seen through mine. The son becomes the father, and the father the son. This is all I... All I can send you. Come out. Men in a Retrospective Podcast, Superman Retrospective Series. Hi. Superman? That's me. From 1978 Superman, all the way through 2016, Batman vs. Superman, Dawn of Justice, Garrett. How can one man be so square and so delicious? Matt. And Adam. You diseased maniac. We'll look at all the Kryptonian Sun's cinematic adventures. The problem with Men of Steel, there's never one around when you want one. Was Richard Donner's vision of Superman deserving of its iconic reputation? Easy, miss. I've got you. You you've got me! Who's got you? Superman returns as bad as it's reputed to be. Hey, you know something? You're a real pain in the neck. What about 1984's Supergirl? Well, we really better talk. Find out the answers to all these questions and more coming up, courtesy of Percolated Media. This order's to go. Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, released March 25th, 2016, budget on this was $325 million, box office $873.6 million, and this is directed by Zack Snyder. Oh boy, we're here again, Batman v Superman, the three of us are watching it again. The question is, why? And I yeah, know... that question, please. <laughs> I know my two partners are asking it. It was my idea, and I, like I teased last week, I have a specific reason why I wanted to do this. The basic reason for me, boys, is when we reviewed this film last year, I was very, very sad that we weren't able to do both franchises leading up to that particular movie like I had done over at the other place. I wanted to do everything leading up to it and then review the film from both characters' points of view. 
And, of course, that didn't happen because we had to start somewhere. And we decided to start on Batman because Batman was having a new movie coming out. I wanted to do it again because I look at last year's review as us looking at a Batman film with Superman going through it. This year, I wanted to do it as we're looking at a Superman film with Batman passing through. And, you know, there are specific motions or specific characters in this that we did not talk about. At least one of us didn't talk about last year that I really, really wanted to touch on. And, and don't worry, we're not going to do it for Wonder Woman. You know, we're not. It's, it's just kind of like a one-time thing. And who knows, if, if we decide to do Freddy and Jason movies again, maybe we'll do it for Freddy versus Jason. But I kind of wanted to look at it from Superman's point of view. Matt, does that satisfy what you were asking? Conceptually, yes. But I need to just put this blanket statement out here right now. When Garrett told me we were going to do this last year, I said, okay. But I had resistance. Not because I hate the movie, because I remember I scored it decently on last year's show. My problem is the challenge put in front of me was that I found it very hard going into this to look at this as a Superman movie where Batman is the supporting character just because Batman gets so much more screen time, it feels like. I even said on last year's show it felt like a Zack Snyder wanted to make a Batman movie before he wanted to make a Superman movie. Now, that couldn't be farther from the truth, if you know the production history, which we touched on last year, but I wondered how much I would have to say, given that when I first saw this movie, I didn't feel like I was watching a Superman movie. I felt like I was watching a Batman movie where someone edited in Superman sequences just because his name was in the title. Well, the movie starts off with the end of last week's film. so Retraction, it starts with the Batman origin again. Okay, all right. Then it goes into the ending of Man of Steel, but the ending is also from Batman's point of view. Correct, which I thought was an interesting way to start this. All right, so we've heard my point. We've heard Matt's point. Adam, how are you feeling about this? Did you see the reasoning behind this? Well, yeah, this is so I can get to the... uh us doing Aliens versus Predator a second time from the other view, right? <laughs> um, no, I, I definitely see the reasoning behind it, because I do think you can take two different paths to deciding how you feel about this movie. I think it's also a way for us to get fighty-fighty over this one more time, since, you know, I mean, even the reason Batman's name is first is because he's the best character. So, yeah, sure, might as well fight again. <laughs> and we also resisted it, for the record. Adam and I are much bigger Batman fans than we are Superman fans. And Garrett's the opposite. The complete opposite. And you know what? I gotta say, watching it for this review with that in mind, in that, okay, let me look at it from Superman's point of view. It kind of changed my feelings on this film, and I'll get into that as we get into the review. Now, we're not going to go over the production history. We're not going to go over all of that, because quite honestly, we already did that last year. So what I am going to do, though, is we are going to review the film. We're going to go over it scene by scene. And then at the end, there's a future to this character that we definitely have to talk about because since we started this retrospective news has come out about what James Gunn and company have in mind for Superman and we'll get into all of our feelings on that when we end this one small point of order I think we need to emphasize because I I went back and listened to our review from last year and we didn't really talk about this much because we focused on Batman Snyder said he wanted to do Man of Steel 2 before he ever incorporated Batman into this universe But Warner Brothers saw the returns on Man of Steel. Very poor choice of words on my part. I'm sorry. But this was a business push-the-red-button type of decision, where because the movie didn't make a billion dollars, it's it's automatically a failure, which ironically was echoed with this movie. So let's, let's bring in Batman before our director really wants to incorporate Batman, and before 
we actually have a Superman. Very terrible decision that, as I looked at this movie, it dumbfounds me how they decided to not establish the Superman character before jumping into this out of a reaction to the backlash that happened with last week's film, which we talked about last week. But when that movie had come out, there was such an insane amount of backlash against all the devastation and everything that me and Matt pretty much agreed with and Adam disagreed with. And so they decided, oh, well, instead of making another movie with that character that apparently has doesn't have as good box office returns, let's incorporate Batman in and let's see them go at it with Batman playing the role of the audience. And I, it, it is a terrible decision. And you know what? It really affects these characters. And there are a couple scenes here where I just thought, you know what? If we had another movie establishing these relationships, those would be so much better. Yeah, and I don't think I necessarily need a second Superman movie first. I think it would have been a smart way to do it, but I would have at least a Superman movie, a uh, Batman movie first. It's, it's a, you can play the what if game and that's not just, you know, because it's a fun comic series, but the, the decision by the suits that they were freaking out because they didn't want to build something that they just wanted to rush to something is, it, it's a shame and it's, it put us where we were, but the grosses on these first films are and it's this is going to come off weird, and I'm not defending, but they're better than the ramp up of Marvels were, you know. And nobody wants to admit that kind of stuff. So it's decisions, hindsight, 2020, all that kind of stuff. But I think if the movie was also different in tone, both of these movies would have had very, very different reactions anyway. That's Go a ahead. fair point, but I will say that I think, given the fact that. You're talking about Batman and Superman, who are two of the three most recognizable superheroes. Of okay. course, their movies would make considerable more money than someone like a Thor or a Captain America. I mean, especially the second one, given how jingoistic our society has become. So you're, you're right to say that financially these made more money, but I sort of give Marvel more credit for playing the long game with riskier characters to do it with. I completely agree, and I think I brought up last time that, yeah, that they, they were able to build a universe because the characters were D-list, and they're still D-list in every form of media except the silver screen. I mean, they still can't sell a Thor, a Captain America, and a Iron Man comic to save their life, but the trinity of Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman, that's what WB has to lean on, or just those three, and Batman's 70% of that. Yeah. Well, it's how, how pissed, for the record, do you think Henry Cavill was when he found out he was not going to get a second movie and they were going to have him be second build the Ben Affleck? Jesus. And, you know, it should be said, too, Marvel did make this mistake one time, and we're going to cover it eventually when we get into Marvel, but they made this mistake with Iron Man 2, and the Great. backlash against that film caused them to never, ever do it again. They were establishing the franchise instead of a character in that movie, and boy, did that backfire. And you know what? There are so many examples over the years of movies with originals that they made money, but they didn't really establish the character in a very satisfying way. But in future sequels like Spider-Man 2, they got the origin out of the way and they were able to tell that story. And I honestly feel that after Man of Steel, there was a great story to be told. It wasn't in that movie, but I thought there was potential to do it in the very next one. But instead... They fucking blew their load, and here we have Batman v Superman, and we're just going to set up Justice League instead of actually establishing two fucking characters that a lot of people care about. We're going to throw them in a movie to make money. 
And there was a, I don't want to say a more difficult task to take, but I think there was a, a way that would have been easier for people to swallow. And that is if you just plucked Christian Bale's Batman into this universe, because he's already established. People know that Batman, but the challenge is because of that world being so contrasted to Snyder's take on Metropolis, maybe it would not have gelled, but that would have made at least more business sense for me than introducing an entirely new Batman. And I said walking out of Man of Steel. I don't think I said this on the on the podcast we did last time, but I didn't walk out of that movie like I did Fan Four Stick, where I'm like, I don't think you can recover from this. You know, I saw good things there that you could improve upon. I didn't think it was unsalvageable, like I did watching that or watching the one-two punch of X3 and Origins Wolverine, where I'm like, you just need to start from scratch, because you cannot... <laughs> like, those buildings were demolished and then hit with an atomic bomb, so there's no particles left to build upon. Well, they did ask Christian Bale to come back, and he asked for a pretty hefty paycheck, apparently. And he said, ask Chris if it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, Chris's name is on this as a producer. Team. With all that established, unlike the Superman character, what do you guys say we jump right into Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice again? <laughs> 2.0, yeah. <laughs> 2.0. So we're skimming over the Batman origin events that Matt mentioned earlier, and we're getting a recap from Batman's point of view as two coffins are carried and we're seeing him run through the fields and fall into the hole where we know he will eventually become Batman. We're also seeing him attend a screening with his parents and they are taken out at the theater. That theater is, by the way, showing Excalibur, which symbolizes the sword we'll be seeing later. And we're also getting the name Martha being told into the camera for the first time. Stay tuned. We then cut to Metropolis, and the events that happened in the previous film are being retold from Bruce Wayne's point of view. And I must say, you know, reactive or not, I like this approach. We saw Superman trying to kill the Matrix in the last film, and it looked cool, but now we're seeing it in this film, and it looks devastating. Everything's falling down. I really like the way they approach this. I do, too, for a couple reasons. If you were going to find a way to shoehorn them in here together, to me, it's a brilliant way to do so. When I figured out, when the marketing showed what they were doing, I was like, wow, that's ballsy, that's different, and way to go. But, two, Superman, literally, you're watching that movie from the top down. Batman is, I mean, yeah, he goes around on rooftops, but he's, he's a ground and pound. He's a street vigilante. So you're literally re-watching the same devastation from the ground level. And it's a very interesting juxtaposition of doing that. And I think it works really well to set these two together in a way that I can't think of another way to, that you would do it where it works in this universe. Yeah, given the fact that we don't have any pre-established history with this Batman and it's a year one Superman and Man of Steel, this was a very logical way for you to create a sort of conflict between the two because so often when you have these stories with these two, it's based on either years of history, if you've read The Dark Knight Returns, or it's based on a true like philosophical divide a la Injustice. Batman's refusal to kill versus Superman saying, you know, you let this go too far and now I'm taking it into my own hands. Uh, here, I like that we have a Batman who in every movie before this, whether it's the Nolan films, the Burton films, he's always come out on top typically, or he's had an answer for everything, whether that's riding off in the dark night, taking the fall, or just saying, F, uh, or saying, screw you guys, I'm going home if the dark night rises by Gotham. He's always had a contingency plan or an answer. I like that here, he's, he's actually treated like a human being, which is what Batman is, and there's nothing he can do to stop all the destruction that he's seeing. And mind you, this is a Batman 
who has been Batman for a considerable amount of time, so he's probably seen a lot of shit, but nothing to this level. So I appreciate this, whether it was reactionary or not. I tend to lean towards the fact that they did this to directly cover their asses and say this was the plan all along. Question, is Batman retired at this point, or is he still out on the streets solving crime? Well, if you go by what most forms of Batman do, Nolan's the outlier on this. Batman fights in a never-ending crusade. So I think that he's still Batman at this point, because if he wasn't, you would think they would have emphasized that he's retired. Like Alfred would say something, mm-hmm. or, or Bruce would mention something, but th- there's no indication of that. So I think he's still Batman, and he's still young enough. You know, this is not The Dark Knight Returns, where he's, what, 60, and got silver hair, and he's out of shape. Like, this is, as we talked about in the review last year, you know, Ben Affleck showed up to work on this movie, and, look, Henry Cavill's a big guy, but Ben Affleck certainly holds his own. Bruce is calling someone in this building, telling him to get out as buildings are falling all around him, and it's important to this film that he does that, because the very next shot is of Superman zooming through that particular building. That POV of Superman coming right at you, it's fucking frightening, man. I gotta say, if I were in a building and I saw this coming at me in the window, it would freak me the fuck out. Agreed, and I think this, you know, for all the talk about, oh, DC and Superman didn't care about wanton destruction, I think this is a way of them showing this is how that destruction would have been seen. Smoke fills the air and the machine from the previous film looms overhead. Bruce passes a horse and sees someone with a building beam stuck on his legs. He then rescues a girl, and where is Superman exactly? He's in the air fighting Zod as comets rage through the buildings. And again, we saw all this, and Adam, you made a good point. It's kind of cool when you're seeing this, when we're in the air and we're seeing Superman do this, because this is what superheroes do. But when you're seeing it from somebody who's looking up and seeing all this shit go on, you don't know what the hell is happening. All you know is that this guy in this blue suit and red cape is just wrecking destruction, and there's something that needs to be done. Yeah, I mean, a fight amongst the gods is going to kill, you know, those which they have created, and that's what we see. And for the record, just to make this joke again... Bruce Wayne saves more people in this opening than Superman did in the entirety of the last movie. <laughs> and he, you know, he's got an entire house of, uh, of orphans now to, to live from, so he's good. He's, he's yeah, all I'm pretty good. sure he enlists, that, that girl's going to be uh, in a bat suit within six months. It's <laughs> <laughs> Stephanie Brown, nobody knows. I mean, given how much Snyder loves the Frank Miller Batman, I mean, it's he used the logo. I could buy this as the Batman who has an army of child soldiers. Mm-hmm. We cut to 18 months later as a diving expedition uncovers some kryptonite from under the water. Now, Goyer and company were big on keeping kryptonite out of Man of Steel, so why are they bringing it back here? <laughs> I know we have to establish weapons and things that Batman or that Batman needs to use against him, but I don't know. They were so adamant, against, we're not going to have kryptonite because kryptonite's too much. And even, Matt, you've said in previous podcasts when we did Superman that that's the go-to for them is, you know, the weakness is kryptonite, so we're going to bring that out every movie. How do you feel when we're seeing all the Superman movies leading up to this and we're seeing kryptonite being brought out again? I knew exactly what it was, too. As soon as you, you show a green rock within the yeah. context of a Superman movie, unless it's got a power ring next to it, I immediately <laughs> got to think... It's kryptonite, and I'm so sick of it because it's such a lazy device to incorporate. You can argue it's needed because you have Batman fighting Superman, so you have to level the playing field somehow. But given how radical of an interpretation Man of Steel was to most of the Superman standard mythology, I would have given them more than enough credence to either jettison kryptonite entirely or come up with some new weakness. Because they did the whole thing where his senses took forever to adjust. You know, you could say he hits a certain age and 
it makes it harder as you get older, or with global warming, it's fucked up the yellow sun's ability to give him powers. There's something you could have done, but I was not happy about seeing Kryptonite, because I, I knew, I'm like, all right, this is how Batman's going to level the playing field. But how do you, how else do you do it though? That's the question. Like I know that's, that's I know they messed with it last film, but how do you like do you just make everything kryptonite and or make everything the krypton air and see see him fall? Like what exactly do you do here? I gave a couple of answers right there. What I know you did, but I'm just I'm just saying like kryptonite's his weakness, so I don't know what else you could you know, do. You know what? You do a solar flare that preludes an eclipse, which that solar flare completely makes him blow his load, and then he's got no got an eclipse to not be able to recharge. Yeah, and this is my problem. I have this with a lot of superheroes that have a weakness where it's like, okay, this is the one, this is the one device that makes them susceptible to being hurt. And I know Superman is, it's literally his Achilles heel because he's a throwback to Greek mythology. But like I said, given how much the last movie kind of, to purists, kicked dirt in their eyes, I think they would have been fine with no kryptonite. And this to me felt like the studio stepping in saying you have to have kryptonite and you have to have Lex Luthor. Like those feel like know, stu- those feel like studio notes. I don't know, man. I, Snyder was big on both of these when he was out in the press talking about this. I think this was all him and Goyer and Terrio coming up with this because, again, we needed to have Batman find that weakness. But, hey, he also has another weakness. It's Lois Lane. So <laughs> Maybe she has a kryptonite necklace, and that's why he's so, like, Oh, that's so much Smallville. Of a, yeah, so, oh, is it really? Yeah, Lana oh, has a kryptonite oh, necklace God's in that. sake. Yeah. <laughs> but that show, I had problems with that show, too, where it's like, all right, how does Lex Luthor fight Superman? Not that he fights him in that show, but he's got a kryptonite ring he wears in a couple episodes. Yeah. I know they've incorporated that in the comics, but I'm like, kryptonite, unobtainium, I hate all that. I hate all that kind of stuff. <laughs> Which is funny, because it's Martha that had the pearl necklace. Sorry. Everybody. Everything comes around. <laughs> We cut to Africa as we see Superman's weakness, Lois Lane, once again played by Amy Adams. She is interviewing a terrorist who finds out that they are being tracked, and within seconds we see Jimmy Olsen just get shot in the fucking head. So much for that. Although if you've seen the theatrical cut, you don't know that's Jimmy Olsen until the credits. Yeah, well, I, 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 to be fair, I did watch the theatrical cut for this. Did you guys watch the uh, Ultimate Edition for it? No, I watched the theatrical cut because we did the Ultimate Cut last time. Mm-hmm. Yep, same, and save myself the time. The Ultimate Cut is, is drastically better, but I've seen it enough. You know, that's the version that I go to now. And for this, I wanted to think about what it was like when I saw it in theaters. Firefight breaks out as Lois is kept hostage, and who shall show up to save today and Lois herself but Superman? We're hearing some bars from Zimmer's score as Superman takes out the guy who is holding Lois hostage. We're then cutting to a hearing as a woman who was nowhere to be seen in that previous scene, at least in a theatrical cut, is telling Holly Hunter about when Superman came down and took out a village. She goes on to say that he answers to no one, not even God. So Snyder is really trying to get us to believe the public sees Superman as a monster. And I remember in that ultimate cut that we did last year, this woman is actually revealed to be a fraud. Yeah, so, she's paid off by Lex. Yeah, so it's just really weird that we're actually seeing this be, and not even establishing who exactly she is. This is the problem when you decide that you're going to shoot a four-hour script for a two-hour movie. It gets cut to hell, and I I resent that as a viewer. I resent starting starting filming without a completed script. Yes, I know it's common. I understand shooting script is different from another script, but when you have a 300-page script you know it's not all going to be on screen, and I think this is the problem, is you don't get the beats that you need to, and you just assume people are going to understand because the writers do. 
We cut to Lois pulling the tracker and taking a bath as Clark shows up with groceries and some flowers. This is a sweet scene. I actually do like these two together in this scene. But again, it would have been so much better had we seen them interact in another film. It's a shame because there really could have been some history established between these two. Yeah, maybe for the record, they also, correct me if I'm wrong, because I sometimes am, hard to believe. How long has it been since Man of Steel? Uh, in cinema time, three years. No, in movie time. Isn't it like oh, 18, 18 months. Okay, so there is a timetable established. Mm-hmm. It's a long time for them to have been together. So I, I like that their relationship has advanced. I'm glad that Man of Steel made the call of no secret identity bullshit. But I talked about this on the last show. One of the only Superman points I was allowed to make because of how that show was written. When they talk about what happened, he goes, I don't care what they're saying as long as you're okay. This starts a trend in this movie. Mm-hmm. Unless you are Lois Lane, Superman does not value human life. And he will put her above everything else. Yeah, and instead we're just stuck with their history being rolling around in fire from the previous film. I like the scene. I like seeing it. I feel like their relationship is genuine. And you know what? Much like Henry Cavill, I got a weakness for Amy Adams, too, because I think she does a really good job. Yeah, your, your kryptonite is redheads. <laughs> yeah. You have no idea how true that statement is. <laughs> oh, I have. we have some uh, off-mic conversations to have my friend clark is saying he doesn't care what people are saying about him as he offers her a rose and then gets in the tub we cut to the police moving into a building full of hostages and a battering on the door and they see a guy chained up as batman moves from the wall and they see that batman has branded the dude we see batman talking to alfred as he's working on a new layer of armor and bruce thinks he has found a path that will eventually lead to quote-unquote him Alfred then talks about how good men turn cruel, and we should be really be thinking more about the man from the sky instead of going after these Russians. Meanwhile, Clark finds news stories about Batman branding people. Okay, we then cut to a basketball game, charity basketball game, with one of the players being our good old buddy Lex Luthor, played by Jesse Eisenberg. Now, the two other fucknuts on this podcast could not hold their loads last year as they blew them talking about their opinions of this version of Lex Luthor. I held my tongue during that discussion and almost edited it out, actually, as I knew I wasn't going to be giving my thoughts on Eisenberg until this podcast. I was hoping they would hold off as well. But I kept the conversation in, and I thought I'd just let my thoughts be known now. As from what I recall, Adam, you hated him, and Matt, you liked him, correct? Yeah, I like him a lot. I have reasons, though, that I can espouse upon once we get further into the movie. And Adam, you couldn't stand him. I love the idea behind it. I hate everything that Jesse Eisenberg does. This was one of the casting I was like, this is a good idea because it was different. And yeah, I still can't eat fucking Jolly Ranchers, people. That's how much I hate <laughs> First, let me say that rumor has it Snyder brought Eisenberg in to audition for Jimmy Olsen because he was going to have a bigger role. But the more Snyder thought about it, the more he knew he wanted to cast him as Lex. Now, after spending all this year on the cinematic Lexes of the past, we have only seen him portrayed in a kind of campy one foot and nine toes in comedy and one toe in ruthlessness. We have all had both good and bad things to say about those portrayals. And it should also be said that I saw this character being played brilliantly for seven seasons and a finale episode by Michael Rosenbaum on Smallville. There, there's no better portrayal of Lex Luthor, I don't think. I wasn't too familiar with the Lex comic book portrayals because even in my heyday of reading comics, I didn't read more than a few years and some change of this character. So I didn't have any baggage going into this movie about how I thought it quote-unquote should have been played. But what Eisenberg was stuck with when he was cast as this character was the thought, should he go in that same campy direction? Or since this is a Snyder film, should he just stay ultra serious and just go ruthless? He was about six years removed from an Oscar nomination for The Social Network and what he decided to do with this character... I'll go ahead and say, 
I absolutely love. He is playing it off-kilter, and he brings a different sort of energy, not the ultra-serious or sulky kind that we've been seeing for a half hour straight until he reappears on screen. The writing of him is most definitely off, but this Mark Zuckerberg as Lex Luthor is entertaining, and in my opinion might not be that far from the actual truth about <laughs> what Zuckerberg actually is. I like him here. Yeah, he's not playing it like he did Mark Zuckerberg, which was what everybody thought yeah. he was going to be doing when he was cast. I think that's the only reason people didn't rebel against it completely as soon as they heard it. Because the most obvious thing when this movie was being cast, everyone was saying Brian Cranston. There was no other name being thrown out there. And I'm like, I'm sorry, as great of an actor as Brian Cranston is, A, he's too old. Because I think Lex Luthor needs to be close to Superman in age. Because they really, I, what works about Lex Luthor, once the character was reinvented, this is why I defend Eisenberg's portrayal as much as I do, and the writing as well is that I like that he's, A, a walking contradiction, and B, he actually contrasts with Superman. The Superman who fought Lex Luthor's when he was Gene Hackman, you know, that dynamic was, he was the good moral code, unbreakable. This Superman is not that. If anything, he's a blank slate. He doesn't know what his place is in the world or how to save the people he's fallen in love with outside of just beating other people to a pulp. He's trying to live up to a godly image. This Lex Luthor, Lex Luthor Jr., I should say, he reflects that instability. You know, he is also trying to live up to an image, specifically his own father, which I have to make the assumption is closer to the comic book version of Lex Luthor that has worked for so long. Problem is it's never made explicitly clear. We're never even shown his father like as a portrait or a flashback, but you can you can read between the lines. Seems very wordy and clunky on paper because this is a kid who probably lived his life in a bubble, told exactly what to read, you know, what to believe, what to think. You know, that's forged through, like, basically hard love and capitalism. Father was probably a super genius, so he felt like he was God and bestowed that upon his kid. I think there's a lot more here, and quite frankly, I think he's the heart of the movie that a lot of people claim is entirely absent. It's weird to do that for your villain, especially for one that has a very common perception for a lot of people. But I'll close with this before we move on or pass the buck to Adam. I still don't think we have gotten the definitive Lex Luthor on screen yet in movies. You want to give me Rosenbaum? Fine. In the same way that I don't think we have gotten the definitive Batman yet. But of all the takes, this is the one on, on screen I have liked the most. I respect them, much like Man of Steel and Ben Affleck, I respect them for going left of center. To me, that's far more interesting than playing it safe. And I've accused Marvel of doing this for a long time, where they, they cast people who are the obvious choice, like Benedict Cumberbatch being Doctor Strange. I'm like, of course you picked him because Sherlock was popular. When there were far more interesting people who could have played the role, Ethan Hawke comes to mind. I like that the casting here was left of center, and quite frankly, this Lex Luthor is the most interesting thing in the movie. <laughs> He's certainly more interesting than Superman. And before I go to Adam, I, I will say that father-son dynamic actually sounds a lot like how they portray Smallville, actually. And when I heard Brian Cranston's name being thrown around, I thought maybe it was going to be Lex's dad that he was going to be cast as. And they were going to play off that dynamic, but we're not going to see that here. Adam, how do you feel about this, sir? I agree with everything there that Matt said, and I sure wish it was on screen to show me that because I just – it's. If I if I was to infer that, I think I would like this a whole heck of a lot better. And even as a comic reader, I think I can or I should because this is Alexander Luther Jr. You know that that is who this one is. And 
even that alone is a deep comics cut for most people. You know what? Maybe this influenced society more than we think, because post this movie, it's amazing to see how much Elon Musk in real life has turned into this version. Of he really has. <laughs> you know? Jesus, you're right. Yeah. Uh, so, like I say, going into this movie, he was one of the things I was most excited about. But I'm going to say, throughout the course of it, the, and there's moments where I think it's it's played brilliantly, and I think the extended edition or ultimate edition does a better job of it. But I think, especially that they don't make clear until Justice League, his connection to the mother boxes and Dasad and could be acting kind of all over the place, I think it's just missed in this movie. Yeah, there, there's absolutely breadcrumbs that were not left to be found. But I'll also say this. I think when you're playing these very iconic characters, if you get the essence right of what they represent, you know, in this case, like Lex Luthor being a, a reflection of Superman with where they're at in life, I think that's here. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the same reason why I defend the Mandarin decision as much as I do. Which, by the way, the people who bitch about this Lex Luthor, a lot of them have never picked up a single comic book in their lives. and couldn't name a Lex Luthor quote out of a book. So if you haven't read Superman, <laughs> shut the fuck up. Let's like, I, go ahead. Sorry, I was going to say, one thing I wish more, instead of him being kind of full-blown megalomaniacal in this, is if his reasoning and instincts were pure for humanity, I think it would be that Thanos-type villain where, on some aspect, yeah, I could kind of go with him a whole lot more. And I think that that would have been an interesting way to do it, especially being that you would then have multiple antagonists going against the big blue Boy Scout. And I think you would have gotten that if this was, if Batman was not here, that would have been at the forefront. Like, there is Mm -hmm. a clear, there is a story with Superman and this Lex Luthor that you could absolutely tell. Especially if you, if you would have had the, the President Luthor or running for president based on a platform of look what, you know what, this is going to be scary, but look what these aliens are now doing to us. And there is something there, you know, we talk about Superman being the Boy Scout, and it's so funny because you guys always tell me that, well, he's the most boring character, but when you start giving him conflict and things, people are like, well, he's not doing what he's supposed to do, which is save people. I think you could play with that, and instead we're just getting everything that was being told to us about the destruction of the previous film being thrown back in our faces, and I'm not sure if that was the way to go with this, and I think the whole Lex thing could have been played up even better if we had gone the other route. You could have him afraid to use or wanting to not use his powers because of Man of Steel. Mm -hmm. And that would be a brilliant thing. Everything that he said at the end of that movie, I'm going to go to a place where I can help people, you know, put where I can find the stories. And if he's going to help by being the man and not the super, but then the super has to come back into play. So he has to wrestle with the dual identities of himself, but realize I can do it without the destruction I caused. There's, uh, yeah. And, le- and Lex manipulating him into using those powers instead of manipulating a fight between these two. I don't know. Yeah. There was just, the more I watched this movie, guys, and the more I, th- I thought about it later, when I, you know, after we watched all those Superman films, I just I started thinking, God, there were so many other different ways to take this instead of jumping into what you guys jumped into. Well, yeah. And when you go to the Dark Knight Rises, sorry, Matt, when you go to the Dark Knight Rises, like, that's it. Superman has become a tool for the government. Mm-hmm. Like, he's a, he's the government used him to get rid of the other superheroes. And it's Batman that's just like, well, first Green, uh, Green Arrow, and then Batman just like, eh, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to go your way anymore. You know, you've become the fascist that you used to defend against. You meant Dark Knight Returns, right? Oh, did I say Rises? Yeah, you said Dark Knight Rises. Oh, yeah, Returns. 
and the sad thing is, Garrett, you know, I, I don't think I've ever mentioned this before. I've seen this movie multiple times. The more I watch it, I'm like, you know what? As unhinged as he is, Lex Luthor's the only one talking sense where he's like, yeah. Need a contingency plan for these superpowered beings because he has the metahuman thesis and can prove there are indeed more people like Superman and we are completely outmatched. Yeah. Lex talks about what he found from the Kryptonian home engine, and we see what happened when they exposed the Kryptonite to Zod and encased in plastic Michael Shannon, getting a paycheck for not doing much. Yeah. Well, well, he, gave, he gave the exact same performance he did. As the movie. <laughs> Yeah, you liked like him Flash, last movie, by the way. <laughs> Go ahead, Matt, I'm sorry. <laughs> much like The Flash, I don't think he was ever on set. Lex goes on to say that there are definitely more of these monsters living among us, and now they need to weaponize the kryptonite to give us a chance at killing them. We cut to the man Bruce saved, being played by Scoot McNary, as he goes to the Superman moral and spray paints it. it did you... Okay, and I'm sure Matt might have. Everybody in the lead-up to this movie was convinced this guy was Barry Allen. Yeah, or Wall- I remember Wall- that. West. Mm-hmm. Because he was seen, there was like um, set photos that leaked out. I, you know what? I think we talked about this. But he had like green stockings on mm-hmm. to obviously hide his legs. We cut to the Daily Planet as they are seeing the man who spray painted the moral and Perry White gives Jenny the task of writing a story about America falling out of love with Superman. Hey, we watched that two weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> we sure did. <laughs> we cut back to Lex as he eats Jolly Ranchers and we request access to the wrecked Kryptonian ship and the remains of Zod. This is where the narrative shortcomings are blatantly obvious, because why, unless you know that he's in cahoots with certain people and has blackmail, how is he getting this executive authority to all this government technology uh, yeah. and, and oversight? Like, it just... There's too many instances in this movie where it's, it's either writing shorthand or they axed too much so that parts of it don't make any sense. It is so fucking convenient the way we get to where we get, and yeah, like if you a, make him, like if you make him Tony Stark, where he's a government contractor, this makes a hell of a lot more sense. But we because we don't know what LexCorp does, mm-hmm. or even is he the CEO? As he says, you know, my father was the Lex in front of the corp. Like, is he just is his father still alive? Like, <laughs> is he even running the company? Like, we don't know. We see Clark talking to Perry White about the dangers of the Bat Vigilante. Lois then comes in and requests a flight to D.C. to further investigate the weapons recovered from Africa. Lex is then told the mineral he requested is being blocked, and this is when the seeds of the famous peach tea are being planted. (laughs) I love that me and Matt Matt are laughing, and Adam just sighs. Well, you get Holly fucking Hunter, man. You got Mrs. Incredible herself, and I can't believe what they do with her in this film. Well, that's the pro- That's one of the problems with this movie is that they cast a lot of really good actors yeah. in meaningless roles. Mm-hmm. This yeah. is a role that could have been played by anybody. Scoot McNary could have been played by anybody. Mm-hmm. To a certain extent, Perry White could have been removed from this movie, and it Absolutely. wouldn't. Matter. And obviously, you could have cast anybody else for Wonder Woman. It's like unless you're. Like, if you're looking at the, the depth chart on this movie, Ben Affleck's number one. I would say Lex Luthor is number two. Mm-hmm. Lois Lane is number three. And Superman's like four. <laughs> like, Superman is four or five in a movie mm-hmm. where he is co-leading. Like, even in these scenes. Yeah. He's in the background. Lois is getting a lot more of the actual detective work. Clark has it in the extended cut, but in the theatrical cut, he does, like, nothing. Because Perry keeps telling him, you know, stop pursuing it and write puff pieces about the sports team. Yeah, he's being sent to sports. 
Yeah, and you know what? And in watching this, I was thinking, okay, Finch has to have a better, bigger role in the Ultimate Edition. And I remember watching that Ultimate Edition last year, boys, and I remember Holly Hunter not really playing much of a role in that either. She's just here. Yeah, to have to Matt's point, to have somebody of this caliber, you expect them to matter, and when they don't, it's one more pinprick taking the air out of that balloon because you're just, that's it? Then why did you get them? Why did you, and get, like, when she's doing stuff, she's damn good. It just doesn't matter. We're seeing a nightmare of Bruce visiting his parents' grave, and who is this that emerges again, comic geeks, in this Man nightmare? Bat. Man bat. Ugh. Yeah, that's the only logical explanation. But but again, it's also really weird. We don't know this Batman's history yeah. as far as the level of absurdity that he's fought. Is this the Batman who fights like a supernatural Rachel ghoul and there's pseudoscience with characters like Man Bat and Clayface? Or is he yeah. more like the Nolan Batman where he's fighting the Joker is just a terrorist? Well, he's a trollo gangster, as we'll find out. But like what what is the what is the degree that if Batman was up against? And if he wasn't doing that and he was more in the style of Nolan's, him having to wrestle with their, like, a literal god among men, that's a really interesting story and a new challenge for this Batman. Lois then visits Swanwick from Man of Steel, who denies any knowledge of what she's claiming about them hiding weapons that they found. And you know what, Matt? I was thinking about what you said last week, and it's absolutely true. They have to find ways to put Lois here, right? Yeah, and for the record... I know there's a lot of people who love Lois Lane, but I'm sorry, she's not Mary Jane Watson, where I actually like her as a as her own like character. It just feels obligatory, and and I think if they didn't have Amy Adams, who was who's a big name, very respected actress, I don't think she would have been as incorporated as much into the story as she is. Not to say that they got a lesser actress, but you know when you got a big name, Oscar caliber actress, you want to use them as much as possible, especially in a big part like Lois Lane. But this is the stuff Clark should be doing. And there's no reason why he's not. And this would be really cool for Clark because he's at interactions with his general as Superman. This is where, if you actually plan this out and not done the bullshit of, oh, he was Martian Manhunter all along, you could have actually planted the seeds where Swanwick actually deduces that this is Superman. Mm-hmm. He can sense it. Because I'm sorry, I've rewatched this and I've rewatched Man of Steel. There is no indication that this character is going to be Martian Manhunter. No, in fact, there's a lot of contradiction as to why it wouldn't be based on his actions and things he does. But even imagine how great it would be to watch Clark Kent be instructed to conduct an investigative reporting piece on something that he, as Superman, was involved in. And you could cross the world's greatest detective trying to figure that out as well and maybe use that to bring them together. We see Bruce being invited to a party being thrown by Lex. So to him, it'll be the perfect opportunity to ask Lex some questions. Clark sees the entrance of Bruce and we are being treated to a speech by Lex. It also makes Clark obscenely dumb. It really does. Gotham and Metropolis are right next to each other as we find out in this continuity and he doesn't know who Bruce Wayne is. And he's a reporter. He works for the paper. (sighs) The, like, this is the problem when you don't when you don't think about building your universe. It's these things that I normally don't complain about. You know, I'm not cinema sins, but basic logic it's not incorporated here. Yeah, Clark being he's not naive. He's not innocent. He's just a good guy. That doesn't make him dumb. Yeah, and I think a lot of writers, especially in movies, kind of think that's the only way to make Superman seem a good guy is to make him naive and stupid. Yeah, like, this should not be uh, Superman and Man for All Seasons where he's just a hulking retard. 
Yep. Remember when this movie was coming out and there were like YouTube videos where people were putting together scenes from the previous Superman and Batman movies and saying, what if the Christopher Reeve Superman fought the Michael Keaton Batman? <laughs> like, oh. the Christopher Reeve Superman was so much smarter than this one. And that's no knock against Henry Cavill. It's just the way he's being written. And the more I watch these with you boys and the more I like look at it with a keen eye, they have really established him as just a complete nimrod. Yeah, and I don't blame any of this on Cavill. Whatsoever. No, absolutely not. It is He got screwed at every possible turn. He's never gotten the best of material. If anything, they've reduced his line count compared mm-hmm. to Man of Steel, and he doesn't say a lot in that movie. Here it's even less. And, yeah, it's people forget that being from a small town, humble beginnings, you know, lower middle class, if you want to call it that, that doesn't mean you're inherently stupid or ignorant, but I feel like that's carried on because to get this reporter job, you think he would have had to shown some kind of degree or college experience to work for a reputable paper. We see Bruce moving through the house as Clark hears his interactions with Alfred and someone named Diana Prince looks on. Clark and Bruce finally meet, much to the delight of Lex, and Lex planned this meeting, right? I mean, he put this together just to get these two together. Well, this is another yeah. one of the problems. It's never definitively said. Yeah. Like, you you have to keep making assumptions. It's like the long kiss goodnight where he's like, you know what you get? Put an ass in front of you. <laughs> make an assumption, you make a mix of you and ass assumptions. Save the Samuel L. Jackson impressions for the next retrospective, sir. I, <laughs> does he see a motherfucker in Star Wars? I don't <laughs> <laughs> he should have. We get some heavy-handed imagery of Superman rescuing a girl and astronauts from rocket ships, as well as being adulated by people as talking heads as well as Senator Finch, doubt his actual motivations. Pause. Two things. First, I love in the party scene where we recognize that Superman is hearing the earpiece from Alpha. Yes. It's great to see that little moment, and i got to say, I love watching Bats and Soups together with Lex between them. I think it's a good image. I actually really enjoy the party scene for a whole lot of reasons. This montage, which is the only part of of heroics we get from Superman, (laughs) is... I guess this is Man of Steel 2? Is this something that was freaking on the drawing board for, hey, here's all the stuff that you could have seen him do. But even this is done with a dour score, dim music, and this should be the brightness to at least show what he's freaking capable of. But even this is downplayed and somber, and it's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. I remember this being a big part of the second trailer that came out, and I looked at this saying, this is supposed to be our hero? This is supposed to be the dude I wanted to imitate as a kid and run around the house with a cape flowing? This is not somebody who people would want to imitate. It's just, it's really bad the way they established this character. We know what his real motivations are. Why are these talking heads on this TV trying to convince people otherwise? Just because he was up fighting this dude and buildings were falling down? Okay, but it's just so stupid the way they, they are framing this. I would argue we don't know his motivations because he has so little internal monologue. It feels like he's doing this just because he's Superman and that's what the plot requires him to do. You need more scenes where he's talking to Martha or talking to Lois about when it's the Spider-Man thing of like, when have I given enough and when can I, you know, live a normal life? Unlike a lot of superheroes, Clark Kent and Superman, they're two very different characters. They're both fully fleshed out. You know, they have different lives, even though they intersect and that's the real conflict. There's not enough here of Superman really wrestling with... A, that, what I just mentioned, and B, a world that largely does not accept him. We're told people like Superman in this universe. We don't actually see it until he dies. The argument is very one-sided. Mm-hmm. In the same way that this movie is favorably a Batman movie more than a Superman movie. We need more scenes of him talking to Jonathan the Force Ghost. Oh. 
<laughs> the only reason that it's different from Alec Guinness in Return of the Jedi is he doesn't sit on a log. <laughs> like, it's that level of boredom. Yeah, it is. It. Meanwhile, Scoot McNary is let out of prison by Lex himself, who tells him that he wants to help him stand for something. The next shot of is of him talking to Finch about letting him take the stand. Meanwhile, Perry White tells Clark that no one cares about Clark Kent taking on the Batman. He's not wrong. People came here wanting to see Superman take on the Batman. No, I think a lot of people came here just to see Batman. Raises my hand. Because of all the controversy that was around the Ben Affleck casting, it was sort of like the Heath Ledger effect where people who would not normally have gone were like, I'm going to go see it because it's Ben Affleck. And it's, so, and it's so different. And Perry is just, anybody could play this part. I like Lawrence Fishburne, but there's nothing here that requires you get someone of his caliber. Because the Daily Planet scenes are so like sprinkled in that, again, much like Kryptonite, it feels like we have to have these because they're part of the Superman story. We see Bruce asking Diana who she is, and she reveals that she's here for a photo. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and that, that, yeah that, that fucking picture has more expression than she does. <sighs> we see Batman go and pick up some kryptonite as he takes out an entire set of troops, and he's captured in a pretty cool little action scene. But this is all a nightmare because he sees Superman enter the picture and burn up more troops with his eyes. And I love seeing how Cavill is playing this. He's playing it with, with a look of defiance and evil. It's almost like how Reeve plays Superman in Superman 3. I, I love this is the way Batman sees Superman. I, I think this is a cool way of establishing that Batman finds this character very frightening, and he is a danger. I like this as prophetic of a, of a harbinger of what could come. But here's what pisses me off. When Superman finally speaks, he tells Batman, she was my world and you took her from me. Yeah. So this happened. Superman became the harbinger of doom because Lois Lane died. That has mm. terrible implications for mm -hmm. someone that we're supposed to put our unwavering trust in. If it could be broken by losing one person. Not even his mother. My yeah. I fucking hate that so much. And yeah, it looks cool. But I also don't like, I never like the image of Batman holding guns. I, I just, I will never get past that. Even in this universe? Well, I feel like this was done to justify it. Yeah. It's like, well, it's a parallel universe where he's fighting monsters. He's going to have a fucking machine gun. This looks like fucking Sucker Punch. Yeah, it's like all—it's like almost all of Zack Snyder's work, and we'll talk about Watchmen eventually. But almost all of it looks beautiful. But the motivations behind it, and the reasoning behind it, and the storytelling behind it is not there. Meanwhile, Clark checks out pictures of Batman's branding, uh, of Batman's branding, and Bruce tells Alfred about the rock he needs to get his hands on to stop the war that Superman has started. But Alfred is defiant and saying that this man is not our enemy. So before, Alfred was really big on, well, he, we got to stop him. But now he's like, no, he's not our enemy. So what, Alfred did some research? Now, Alfred was saying to Bruce, check yourself. He was talking in reference to Batman, not Superman. Alfred's the only person who seemed to like Superman in this universe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, Alfred, he's the father figure. He's the one that's, you know, saying, hey, you've gone off half-caught. You're not thinking anymore. You're no longer... You're not the man you were. I mean, he literally says some of it word for word, but it's just like, you've lost it. You've, you're not putting your thought into any of this. You're just acting without thinking. We're then getting our first real action scene of the movie, not really a, not, not, not a dream sequence, as Batman goes on a little car chase through the streets of Gotham until Superman stands in his way. He tells Batman to not go to the signal next time it shines in the sky, as the bat is dead. Batman then asks him if he bleeds, and once Superman flies away, he says, You will. Matt, I want to dogpile on something you said in the podcast we recorded last year. Up until this point, I get why Batman, Bruce Wayne specifically, is so hell-bent on going after Superman. Superman, in his eyes, is a danger to society. And in the opening moments of this movie, we clearly see from his perspective the dangerous shadow Superman casts over the world. But from this moment on, 
These two act like two petulant children. And this fight is not about saving the world as much as my dad can beat up your dad. Well, it's more like my mom can beat up your mom. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you're right. I, I'm not going to belittle that point because I, I said from here on out on that last show, they, they act like 13-year-old boys because Superman does not make any attempt in this moment to reason with Batman and be like, hey, I've read what you're doing. It's not your usual motive operation branding people what's going on what can i do to help you to get us on the same page instead he's like you better stop what you're doing because i'm going to do what i did to zod and just break your neck without a thought because this because it's just they don't feel like characters this feels like someone playing with action figures that are scattered all over the place and crushed under that car because once again i want to reiterate batman murders probably like 10 people in the scene at bare minimum yeah it's weird because superman of all people would at this point, still be trying to figure out a way to do this, you know, to, to solve this issue as Superman or as Clark Kent, not as punchy, punchy, fighty, fighty. And he never really gets there. Even when he tries to reason with him in a few scenes, it still comes off, I don't know. I don't get the Superman here that we should even be getting here. There should be a big contrast between these two characters in this moment when they're first starting to come together. And that contrast isn't there. They're both just angry and going to fight, angry and going to fight. The only contrast is the blue of Superman's suit against Batman's gray and black. <laughs> and even that, this blue is super muted. And... Yeah, they made that color even more muted and blah. It's just it's like this thing is shot by Len Wiseman. <laughs> uh, be, careful what, be careful what you wish for. Yeah, we're going to be talking about him pretty soon. We see Lex open the kryptonite and then Finch plead to Superman to come and see what he did. Superman then gets a pep talk from his mom, telling him he's not a killer. He needs to be the best of what he can be, whether that's a hero or an angel. And Adam, this is what you were talking about, right? We need more scenes like this. We need this, but even, you know, the scenes that we had earlier where we see him do some super heroic stuff in montage, have some moments where he's just having dinner with mom and he's got to leave to go do something. Show those that show the man that he is, and we'd never, never get that. Diane Lane is fantastic, and these two together do a good job. They could carry amazing scenes with emotion and pathos, and they'd never give it that. The writers don't want to give it that. The hearing is on, with Superman making a cameo appearance. The senator <laughs> starts talking to Superman, and she sees what she referred to earlier as Peach Tea, right before the entire building goes up in flames. Harrowing scene, made even more harrowing by the fact that Snyder uses it to show Superman sulking instead of, I don't know, rescuing someone. The way, too, that they that they cut this compared to the Ultimate Edition. The Ultimate Edition, you at least see him doing some reactions afterwards to helping get some people out and fly them down. In this theatrical cut where they just, he stands, and watching the flames and fire around Ugh. him while he's just moping is such a horrific direction yeah. and editing decision, and it's just... I, like, I get the, oh my, Lex figured out some of his weakness, and that's how we got the bomb in. I'm okay with that, but the execution of this, and the execution of these people, is just done piss poor. There's also, Superman does not have any opportunity to plead his case. They are so quick to cut to death and destruction. So again, I never feel like Superman, and, and I don't think this is the point of the movie. They never give Superman the opportunity to show that his heart's in the right place. Even him trying to stand up for himself, he, he's so put upon that he's he's just moopy throughout so much of this movie, and that's not a substitute for characterization, I'm sorry. Amongst all of this, Bruce gets a note saying, you've let your family down. Superman is then telling Lois that the bomb was there, yet he couldn't see it, and that Superman's not real, he's just a farmer from Kansas. 
Guys, are there stories like this with this character giving dialogue like this? Because if there are, I'm so glad I stopped reading his books when I did. Yeah, I mean, a lot of even current writers, you know, really like to take the just the sad, depressed version of it, and that's kind of where they like to go, looking at you, Tom King, of how they like to take so many characters, because it's all therapy work. Yeah, if Lucy from Peanuts was in this universe, she would have enough money to pay for her college at her children's college. Everybody in this movie has got psychological, deep psychological issues that are not clearly addressed. What a comparison. Lois puts her hand on Superman's chest saying this symbol means something, and he responds with, only in my world did it mean anything. We cut to Lex getting on the ship inside some water for some reason, and then assumes command of it. And he does what all Lex Luthers in every cinematic iteration does, ask the ship to teach him. This is literally exactly yeah. what Kevin Spacey yeah. did when he went there and he was like, teach me everything. Yeah. I, I was shocked at the, at the parallel because we just did that movie a few weeks ago. And I was like, oh my God, this is exactly what Kevin Spacey did. But I got excited in this moment because I thought we were going to see him completely change character when he was cursed with the burden of knowledge. When mm-hmm. he suddenly was, as Lex Luthor is, the smartest man on the planet, I thought we were going to get it here and this was going to define who he'd become. Spoiler alert, it doesn't. It's the exact same complaint you had when Spacey did it. Yeah, it's the same character. How are you the same character after this? Mm-hmm. You're not. I mean, you can't be. Show yeah. the character freaking change. I don't want the same character from opening credit to ending credit, but that's what we have. And this character only changes when he gets his head shaved. And it should also be said, too, and that's another reason why I wanted another movie in between this of Superman, because this Superman is the exact same character we saw in Man of Steel. That should not be what this character is. He's not you know. even that lucky. <laughs> it's so terrible the way they have damned this character, this character I have loved for so long, into going from a movie where he kills thousands and thousands of people and then goes right into a fight with Batman where we're supposed to be rooting for Batman. I hate this so much. As a huge fan of this character, I feel this this movie just pisses all over that legacy. Well, I, And I am so scared of what we're going to be getting in the next couple years because I'm, I have a feeling it's going to be worse. I'm, I'm rooting for Lex Luthor. I don't like Batman or Superman in this movie. I think they're, they're both wrong and not in a good way where it's interesting. They feel antithetical to the characters that we know. Like there are core differences that go beyond just, well, it's Zack Snyder's take. We then have a montage of Bruce training as he gathers weapons. Meanwhile, he finds out just who Diana is, and we get that Zimmer core that's all too familiar with people who've seen Wonder Woman. Yeah. They, you know, we, we need the Superman training montage as well. We need Rocky IV. Oh, like, we need that's Superman on, the, on a mountain just raising to the heavens. Yeah, I thought that's what we were going to get when they showed him all bundled up in the cold. I'm like, oh, he, he got a yeah. cabin in the woods, and he's... yeah. You know, he's training because Batman gets a training montage. And get that electronica Batman. score back in, you know. Imagine Superman, you know, running up the snow yeah. Oh, God. You know what? You two, do your thing. <laughs> Lex then mixes his blood with Zod as he goes under, and Lex asks the ship to proceed with bringing the mixed DNA to life. By the way, did you guys know that Carla Gugino voices this ship in both this and Man of Steel? I didn't know that. Yep. Because you want to have somebody who looks that hot be a voice. Yeah, why don't you make her like an AI? Yeah! Like Jarrell, where you see her. Exactly. (laughs) We then cut to the Arctic, where Clark finds his dad, and we have to have this in every Superman film as well. A pep talk from a parent, right? God, this is like... Oh, it's terrible. This is the worst example of, oh, we signed Kevin for two movies. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, they went to the set of Yellowstone and decided to film... 
<laughs> yeah, because he is doing this woodwork. Uh. And it's I, I this felt like a parody of the Silence of the Lambs, which he's talking about the, the the lambs that are getting slaughtered, where he's talking about the horse that drowned. Oh shit! I I found myself uncontrollably laughing at this because it's so fucking hokey, and it feels smaltzy in a way that the rest of this movie is not. So it feels even more out of place. Yeah, it stands out more. But as somebody who loves the relationship, this is somebody who, you know, the reason why I liked Smallville so much in his opening seasons, I've said this before, is because I love the father-son relationship between Clark and his dad. It reminded me a lot of me and my dad growing up. So I, I, I get why they're bringing the dad in, because he is a big part of why he turned out the way he is. But still, seeing him here, it just felt so shoehorned in that it didn't have any impact on me. I could actually use more of this. Um, I could have used better, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I could have used more if it was if it was written better, for sure. I like seeing Kevin Costner back. I think I was the one of us who liked him as is or liked him the most as is Paul last week. But in a movie about mothers, maybe spend a little more time with Martha. You know, maybe this moment could all be done there because this movie is about boys and their mothers, and that's what it comes down to in the end. So as much as I like it, it doesn't fit with the story they're telling. Or you do the Sir Man 2 thing where he talks to his biological mother. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Bruce then gets a pep talk from Alfred. Snyder gives Nancy Grace screen time, and for that and that alone, he should have been fired. And Alfred doesn't He's give pep talk, Alfred doesn't give pep talks in this movie. He gives like, um, "Son, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed." Throughout his in- yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's, yep. there's all of his conversations in this movie because he is not on board with anything Bruce mm-hmm. can do. No. He's, I'm disappointed, but I need to keep my job. Yeah, because I can't mouth off because I got bills to pay. <laughs> and, and I'm like, if he gets himself killed by Superman, I inherit everything. God, as bad as Whedon was, even he didn't pull this fucking Nancy Grace crap. We see Martha Kent taking out the trash at the rundown diner she works at. What, Pete couldn't give her a break and hire her at IHOP? This is bullshit. <laughs> you because know, the IHOP got destroyed. It did, but the Daily Planet was rebuilt. They could have rebuilt the fucking IHOP, too. She's then kidnapped... More on this later. So Batman and Superman, they're prepping for battle. There's nothing left to do in order to get these guys at each other's throats. But what does Lex do? He orders both Martha Kent and Lois captured, and then pushes Lois off a fucking building. What is he accomplishing here, other than proving the only time Superman springs into action is when Lois is in trouble? Yeah, the, the only way to incorporate Superman into this movie is to kidnap supporting yeah. Superman. Because he has no... He's not very proactive. No. He's very reactive, and it involves either Martha Kent or Lois Lane. Yeah, and that you do it to both is overkill, not needed, because you're literally just, I mean, you got to go with both women in his life. And I think this is the only reason they gave Lois that globe-trotting bullet search earlier, was it was the only way to keep comic writers like Gail Simone from yelling that we're fridging women in, in comics, which, does it happen? Yes. Would that have been the situation here? Eh, maybe, maybe not, but... That doesn't mean you had to give them more to do, either. It also gets Supes to approach Lex, so I guess you accomplished that. We didn't get Lex and Supes. They get a face-off where Lex is calling him God and every other word he's heard for him in the ship. So he's basically reiterating what the ship told him. And tossing out pictures of Martha that look like he just filmed a snuff film. It's crazy. That looked like fucking Saw. That didn't look like kidnapping. (laughs) Yeah, that was nuts. And... Boy, he had a lot of time in his hands to have those not only taken, but also printed. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, as 2016, he could get them done pretty quick. Lois... He's showing him his iPhone. <laughs> <laughs> 
Lex calls the upcoming fight black and blue, a fight that I guess he thinks he orchestrated, even after what Soups did in the previous film. For the record, he only orchestrated it because these two guys are fucking morons. Exactly. Lex has literally nothing to do with this fight. He did the, he did the bare minimum. Like, mm-hmm. he, he left a piece of cheese in the mousetrap and let these two dipshits try to grab it. Yep. The, the detective doesn't detect, and the reporter doesn't investigate. <laughs> These two are such morons. Lex also reveals that he has Martha hostage, and he gives him an hour to kill Batman. We see Godot doing what she does best, move a mouse and not talk, as she reveals the picture Wayne sent her, as well as all the other Justice League members we've talked about before. And this is basically just to get a viral video of these before Justice League starts ramping up. Yeah, this was unnecessary as being kind. God. And I love how Lex Luthor went through the trouble to design their logos. I know. <laughs> That's where Lex Luthor's making their Luke's Corp, Lex Corp is making their money now. Yeah, they actually own the branding IP. Because I, I, I remember watching the scene in the theater, and I'm like, if this is supposed to get me excited for the Justice League, you are utterly failing at what you set out to do. Because these little clips are not selling me on these actors. I mean, Momoa doesn't even fucking do anything. No, his head out of a ship. Yeah, and even like the nightmares that Bruce was having earlier on, like none of that is exciting me for what we're going to be getting next, you know? And that's exactly what they're trying to do with this movie because we have to get this movie out and we have to get this Justice League on as quick as we can because Marvel's just way far ahead of us. And by springboarding it like this, you're not really letting it set in. And that's what just hurts this movie and this DCEU as a whole. The fight is on with Batman overstimulating Superman's senses and Superman pleading to not go through with it. Now, we've discussed all the blow-by-blow of this fight before, but I'll say if they'd come up with a good reason this fight was taking place, I'd like it a hell of a lot more. As it is, Snyder knows how to shoot it, but he sure as hell has no idea how to properly set it up. It it looks beautiful. I love the fight. I like the fight when it was done. You know, the nods to what was done in the comic and animated movie, which actually does us much better, is nice. I like the fight a lot. I love the suit. The what feels like references to the gauntlet from Superman 2, I like as well with the machine guns popping up, stuff like that. So yeah, that was huge, cool. Yeah, I'm a huge, huge fan of the way this is directed and shot. But I also feel like I'm on a green screen the entire time. Yeah, this is, you know, as far as adver- advertising a Batman versus Superman movie, it gives you everything you want on an aesthetic level, but there's no soul to it. It's like watching a great wrestling match without build-up or without without a story going into it. Or it's like, yeah, the in-ring work is really good, but there's no psychology behind it. I'm just watching high spots and finisher after finisher. That's the allegory I use. And it's unironically funny when I watch Batman rip a kitchen sink out and hit Superman (laughs) over the head with it like it's a fucking steel chair. (laughs) Literally everything, including the kitchen sink. Batman has Superman at his mercy and pulls up the kryptonite spear only for Superman to plead to him to save his mother Martha's life. And we know how this goes. Lois comes in and stops the death from happening, and even though she did not hear the conversation, she says that it's Superman's mother's name as Batman walks away and throws the spear. You know, you guys have mentioned, Matt, specifically, you have mentioned that Lois is just kind of here to be here because writers feel the need to include her here. But I was thinking about that as I was watching this, again, from all these characters' points of view. Lois is just conveniently here when she needs to be. She did not hear this conversation. She has no idea why Batman has this spear up, but somehow she knows that this guy has heard this name and is wondering why. It's like she had one guess to think about <sighs> what they were conversing about, and she guessed right. Uh, yeah, um, I said my piece on this last year. I'm not going to go down this road again, but 
there was a, I think there was a way to do this without having to have Lois spell it out. That's what I think is the worst part. Yeah. I said I, I, I liked it then. I like it, you know, I like the Martha. It, I, I, I just don't have an issue with it. Maybe it's because I've had the conversation with people, but yeah, I don't mind the Martha moment. I do wish it was done better. Nobody calls their mother by their first name, but I like the realization and I like the fight all the way to the end. What I'll say about the Martha moment, and this is something, again, I didn't realize until this time in watching it. Up until this point, Batman has seen Superman as an alien who was sent here to pretty much destroy Earth. And that's why he's here to kill him, is because he sees this man as a threat. This moment humanizes Superman to Batman. If I see it from that point of view, I actually like it more than I did last year. Again, I didn't realize this until I watched it from these points of view. It has changed my thoughts on this particular scene where... It does come off as very campy. It comes off as extremely stupid the way it just gets elongated. And this was turned into meme after meme after meme. And we don't need to reiterate everything we said last year. But if I like anything about it, it's that it humanizes this character for Batman. And that, I think, is pretty good. It could have been great, but the writing is just not there. Well, it ends so fast. And we're two, what, almost two hours in at this point? Yeah. This is something that could have happened earlier. They could have separated and had a fallout from this. But, uh, yeah, we just now got to rush towards an ending because we shot a four-hour movie that's not going to be a four-hour theatrical experience. Yeah, because in the director's cut, this is close to, like, the three-hour mark. Yeah. Yeah. Now these two are BFFs, as Batman promises Clark that Martha won't die tonight. But that's because it's 11.55, so she's technically (laughs) going to die tomorrow. (laughs) Dusex Alfred knows exactly where the Russians are, as here's Batman to save her. And again, I'll say, I hate how we got here, but I do love this little action scene. This is the best action scene of the movie, of Batman fighting these guys. It's tremendous. Oh, yeah, it's a great Batman scene in a Superman movie. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Superman shows back up to Lex and tells him that he's lost. Lex responds with, if he cannot kill God, then the devil will do it. And up comes Doomsday. Doomsday wakes up. Now, I remember reading these comics, but I do not remember Doomsday looking like the head orc from Fellowship of the Ring. Troll in the spaceship. Oh, my goodness. My God. Anyone else think of Abomination from The Incredible Hulk? I thought of that. I thought of the troll from Harry Potter. Yeah, oh, yeah. There's looks a like the Michael Bay Ninja Turtles. And it looks bad, and there's no excuse anymore. This is 2016. I watched Ultron the year before, and that looks ten times better than this. thing is, it looks how they want it to look. It's not that the CG is bad. It's this was their design. Yeah, the design I, is what's bad, I agree. You know, and I understand that Doomsday, I, I know Doomsday, I know that he keeps evolving and stuff like that with every strike, with every hit, but that Doomsday look from Death of Superman is pretty iconic, and if you're not going to do exactly that, you should have got really damn close, and they don't. Yeah, because Smallville, it looked like shit, too, but I gave them an excuse it was on a TV budget. It did look like no. shit, and that whole story was told like shit, too. Oh, my God, did I hate how they handled Doomsday in that show. Superman tries taking Doomsday on, but, of course, he gets his ass kicked. Doomsday pulls a King Kong pose on top of the LexCorp tower as helicopters fire away at it. I love how they make the point of every time they fire a bomb, they have to say it's uninhabited. <laughs> That was my favorite part of this whole thing. <laughs> we're feeling the backlash so much. Is you know we're we're seeing Swan Nick go. Is it inhabited? Yes. Okay, fire it. <laughs> it's it's word for word like yes. I mentioned before. What they do in Age of Ultron. Like I said last week, that whole series of events at the end of that movie affected comic book films forever. We're not going to see the destruction porn that we saw before. 
no, people can't take it. They're wusses. But I like where they decide to take this fight. And for for the criticisms that we've levied at this, so many films hide their deficiencies by shooting stuff at, at night or in rain, things like that. This movie is, is shot during those times, but looks good. Like, I cannot mm. like the look of Doomsday, but I think this looks very good. Uh, it looks too video gamey, dude. I don't like the look of this at all. I, I think it just gets to the point where we have to get this to get this in order to kill this guy. And I, 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 I wish I liked it more than I did. And that's Matt, how you felt with Man of Steel. And I loved the way that those fights came off. Matt, be the tiebreaker. Yeah, I'm with Garrett where he's fighting a monster that I have no investment in as a comic book reader to begin with, and especially even tying it into Man of Steel with Zod's body, feels like the, they were trying to justify it being Doomsday so it didn't feel like a gimmick. But it's the same thing as Man of Steel. I'm watching one guy that I don't relate with fight a giant monster. He only, the only smart thing he does is take him up into space, which he should have fucking done in Man of Steel. That's exactly it. Meanwhile, Doomsday just gets stronger as the power builds up inside of him. Batman comes to the conclusion that only kryptonite weapons will kill this monster, and he goes back for the spear that was thrown in the water. Spear of destiny. Yeah, and the spear that, by the way, Lois will know that they need. Exactly. Superman, as Matt mentioned, <laughs> takes Doomsday up to space as Batman gets in trouble and Wonder Woman makes the save. Yeah! No. It would have been nice if they didn't spoil this in the trailer. Exactly. Right. Batman and Superman argue whether Wonder Woman was with the other as the video game fight continues. Again, makes them look really stupid. Extremely stupid. Love the splash page of them all standing there together. Well, I like it in the moment because I'm like, I never thought we would see this. But then when I thought about the context, I'm like, this is fucking stupid. Yeah. (laughs) Lois is struggling underwater as Superman once again gets vibes that she's in trouble and once again goes down to rescue her. You take a yeah, shot every time he does this, and it's fucking... Yeah, <laughs> giant monster cause of destruction? Fuck that. I'm going to leave him with the guy with no superpowers. Exactly. Like, okay. <laughs> it, it should be said, it's not that I hate this character. I love this character. I just hate the way he's written in these movies. He's just look. He's made to look like a complete fucking moron. If there was a conversation, just or even a look, being like, I saved Martha, you go save Lois. Exactly. Because then Superman, you know what, yes, I can trust you to keep this going. You just saved my mom. But Superman, Kal-El, leaves this rampaging monster that is from your mm-hmm. freaking horrible freaking planet that killed itself that's going to destroy our planet. You go freaking leave that thing rampaging for a piece of... Now, agreed, it's it's redhead Amy Adams. I might do the same thing, but I'm not Superman. He's supposed to be better than us. All you fuckers think with your dick. Um, oh, all of us. <laughs> Kettle. <laughs> As the fight rages on, Superman tells Lois that he loves her and that she is his world as he sacrifices himself to plunge the spear in and take out Doomsday. Did not see this coming. I didn't either. Even with Doomsday. And when Doomsday showed up, I should have known this was coming. I love this piece of music here when this is going on. Matt, you see this coming? Yes, I did, because I'm like, there's no way you blow your load on Doomsday. Boy, I'm, I'm describing a very different movie. <laughs> Lex did. Uh, there's no way you blow your load on that and not kill off Superman at the same time. Otherwise... Why would you do Doomsday in the first place? Shit, you've been killing him cinematically for a movie and three quarters. Why not fucking do it here? Been doing it since Superman 2. Yeah, because I'm like, the problem with this movie was the trailer. I'm like, you have shown the entire exactly. three-act structure of this movie, so you you have nothing left to surprise me with outside of the decision-making that went into this movie. <laughs> 
I get more than I surprised, but there was nothing in the plot machinations that surprised me. It's yeah, another reactionary decision. People were wondering, like, okay, why put these two together? We don't have it. So they have to show this stuff in order to fucking sell the film. And I'm thinking, God damn, why do that? You have the two biggest characters in DC history. Why are you doing this? You know what? The, the, the decision and what it takes to say... We are going to kill Superman only two movies in, I think is a ballsy move. Like it or not, I can't believe somebody signed off that they were willing to do that. And I know how this movie ends, but that still is a hell of a leap that I don't think most studios, and I sure as heck know that the other side of the comics movie franchise would never take that kind of move. They still don't take that kind of move. So I do think it was a gamble, and I think it was a ballsy one. I mean, good or not how it's done, I appreciate that they were willing to do it. I, I can't say I agree because I, yeah, I knew there was a Justice League movie coming, and I'm like, there's no way you do a Justice League movie without Superman. I know he's coming back. Mm-hmm. More importantly, you've killed him off before he actually becomes Superman. Yeah, that's my issue with it. So it feels like an invalidation and a waste of something you could have built up to. It, 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 it was surprising. I mean, I thought it was well done from a visual standpoint, but... Why didn't Batman or Wonder Woman use the spear? Yeah, and and this is all these reasons are reasons why it sucks that we did not have a movie in between to establish this. Yeah, Superman is then laid to rest as Lois cries. After all this time we have spent with this character, I should be emotional at this, but I blame Snyder and company for the fact that I don't fucking give a shit here. Yeah. We see Lex get his head shaven, which is identical to the scene of Lex's dad getting his head shaved in the end of season three. <laughs> this is the exact scene. I'm telling you, if you watch that back to back with this, it's fucking identical. They shaved that glorious head of hair for uh, John? Yeah, yeah, at the end of season three. Wow, no wonder he was so bad in Batman and Robin. <laughs> <laughs> it all ties together. Well, I love the idea of him having that head of hair in those seasons because it was like a big fuck you to his son that, look, I have this big-ass head of hair and you're bald. I agree. (laughs) It's fucking awesome. Lois meets up with Martha for the funeral, and I should have thought of this before I chose the way I proposed to my fiancé. Like, here, he left this for you. Die and have your mom do it? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) He he left this for you. At the funeral, because this is the best way to do this, Bruce tells Diana to help him find others like her. (laughs) Monotone, no acting, superheroes. He says we fight, we kill, we can betray one another, but we rebuild. We see a shot of Superman's coffin shaking, meaning he must still be alive, as Lex is visited by Batman in Arkham, and credits roll on Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. All right. Scale of 1 to 10. What do we give Batman v Superman again? Adam, you go ahead and go, sir. All right, the way I'm going to score this, because I was wondering, I rated and scored this movie, so give it the same score, blah, blah, blah. As a movie as a whole, yes. So I'm just going to take a look at this. What did it do for Superman? I think it took a lot of what I liked in Man of Steel, you know, and I was enjoyed that more than, I think, the most out of the three of us. And it just, it downgraded Superman. It made him more mopey. It didn't give him the sequel he deserved. It didn't bring the super. Even the parts where it shows that he learned some lessons are really on surface and doesn't doesn't flesh out. He's dumb. He's not a good reporter. He doesn't do his job well. It's unfortunate. This is such a insult to Superman as a character that it's hard to believe that the same guy that did Man of Steel, that if you don't want to do Superman, just don't do Superman. You know, pass it on to somebody else. There would 
have been great people who would have loved to do it. You know, there was a rumor for the longest time before he passed away that Dick Donner wanted to do one more and that Jeff Johns, his protege, was going to write it. You know, let that happen. As it stands as a Superman film, it is a huge letdown. Henry Cavill deserves better. It's, it didn't really say it the first time, but that guy is a fucking charm factory that can play both sides of this character, and he's not given that shot. It's a huge shame. It's a waste of good actors in a film that's poorly written and is such a disservice to Superman. As a Superman film, this is a 4 on 10. I keep my original score for the overall, but if I was a Superman fan more than a Batman fan, I understand being really pissed at the result of this. Famous 4 on 10 from Adam Bunch. You draw. Well, this certainly was not the movie I was expecting walking out of Man of Steel. And no, it did not correct enough in the direction that it could have when I was more lenient saying that this was salvageable. If anything, it's a retraction and a step back. Superman, by removing his dialogue even more and making him considerably more mopey, his name's in the title, but you sure wouldn't feel like this is a Superman movie if he wasn't wearing that costume. And yeah, Cavill's a charm factory. You wouldn't know it watching this movie, because he's told to play it so one note. As a Superman movie, you know, I talked about the last show. You know, I had to review that as a Batman movie. If I was a Superman purist, or even a mild fan, I'd feel like I was not watching the character that I like. It's it's clunky. It's unfocused. Almost everyone is unlikable outside of Alfred. And yeah, it's one of the most fascinating blockbusters, though, that's been made in the last 20 years, because you can't say this wasn't someone's vision. You can argue there was a lot of studio interference as far as conceptually in the pre-work, but Snyder and Terrio, this is their baby, and I don't think there's anyone else to answer for it with what's on screen. So I'm going to echo what Adam said right down to the exact same score. This this theatrical cut is a 4 on 10 for me as well. David Goyer, a few years before they started this movie, came out in the press and said... We're, not, we're never going to do Batman v Superman, because once you do that, you have admitted that pretty much you are at wit's end. And that's exactly what happened. A few years later, this was announced, and here we have a movie that, as a Superman purist, as the person who loves that character, and most of those movies that we talked about all year, I certainly liked Superman 3 more than the two people on this podcast. And you know, while I wasn't a fan of Superman 4, I just think this character has been established as somebody who cinematically should work. And for two and a half, some would argue, three and a half films, it actually did. Man of Steel started the trend of, we're going to completely masculine him up. He's going to be the most studliest superhero there is. And my God, I have seen Cavill in performances where he could turn the charm up, as you guys have both said. It's not here. Cavill is made to look like a complete moron in this movie. Batman is made to look like a complete moron in this movie. Like I said in in my review, I think Eisenberg, there's definitely a different energy when he's on screen, and it's a very welcome energy. I enjoy the way he plays this character of Lex Luthor, but everything revolving around Superman, from his point of view, sucks. I wish there was something I could say that reestablishes my opinion of this character as being some somebody that I could really focus on. And if I were a kid, would I look at this character and say, he's really cool? No, I would look at this character and say, he's a Moby bitch, even if I was a fucking 10-year-old watching this movie. And sometimes I did feel like a 12-year-old, because the only time I actually got stimulated watching this was when these two punched each other. That's not what I actually like in my superhero movies. I want something that 
establishes a uh, an emotional connection to my characters. And maybe that's just because of the way I grew up and watched these movies. The way I gravitated to Superman as a kid was because I loved seeing him grow up. I loved seeing what he turned into after Jor-El taught him. And I loved seeing the father-son dynamic. I'm seeing none of that here. I'm seeing a guy who's naive. I'm seeing a guy who is lovesick. I'm seeing a pouty puppy. And these two fighting, it's fun. It's great to look at. But man, there is no emotional heft in this. This is a... I'm not going to say it's a terrible movie. There are some things about it that that are really good to look at. But I'm exactly with my two colleagues. This is a four just because of the visuals. It it raises it up. And there's just nothing in rewatching all those movies in preparation for this movie that made me like this movie any more than I did last year. So it's a 4 on 10 for me as well. Boys, we have covered Superman this year. This is the last time we'll talk about the Man of Steel for at least a bit. Before we talk about the future of the character, how did you guys feel this retrospective came off? Matt? I enjoyed it immensely. Some of these movies, though, I never want to watch again. I'm going to put, put that out there right now. But as far as giving the Man of Steel his retrospective, I mean, it was deserved. You know, the, the legacy is certainly there, but I would say both in terms of the negative as much as the positive. Adam? It was nice to do. Some of these movies I haven't seen since I was a kid. Some of these I see on a fairly regular basis. And going through the entire history up till this point, I think has been a nice look at a character who has not gotten the cinematic due still that I think it really des- he really deserves. Yeah, and as somebody who has... A young child watched that first movie with awe, and I still hold that movie in very high regard. Go back and listen to that review. Uh, the journey we have taken with this went pretty much as I was expecting, honestly. You know, I, I did come around on a few things while going through this retrospective, but I'm not going to say I'm never going to watch any of these again, but I will say that I just wish there was that one cinematic universe I could point to and say, yeah, they actually did that right. I can say that about the first two Reeve films, and as much as I love that, I shouldn't say love, as much as I really like that third Superman movie, there are definite flaws with the way that was portrayed, but I will still watch it if I need to smile, because there's so much about it that I actually really do like. But I I watch these movies, and I, I just think, God, is there a way that modern DC can do something with this character that makes it look like a character that we should be rooting for? And maybe James Gunn will be that answer, and God, you know, if I thought Zack Snyder was somebody who was going to fuck this character up. I have not liked one of James Gunn's films, as I've mentioned before. I think this guy is just a terrible choice to take this character. But you know what? He has the DC reigns, and he has decided to do his own Superman movie. It is called Superman Legacy. It's going to be coming out in 2025. We have seen some of the cast, and we are getting Lois Lane back. We're getting Hot Girl. Boys, what are we thinking? All these decisions are being made in the course of our retrospective here. Matt, what do you think James Gunn can do with this character? So let me say, though, before I talk about what's actually been done thus far, I'll tell you that when it comes to James Gunn, he is essentially the sole creative voice in this new Superman movie. So it's going to succeed or fail based on him, and I don't think there's going to be anyone else you can really blame, unless there's a lot of like studio interference, which, look, it's WB. It wouldn't surprise me. The thing that scares me, and I am a James Gunn fan, is I don't know how his sense of humor is going to vibe with Superman. Because he's he's not one to be upstanding with his humor. Can he put on a different face? I think he's capable of it, but it's not like work shows that. But there are some instances that, that give me hope. Because I think the whole thing about Superman being someone of two worlds, and, you know, not asking for their circumstances, 
There's a lot of that in the Guardians characters, and I think that's why audiences have responded, because this is the man who took the most obscure Marvel property out there and made them household names. Feige gave him the, the reins to do it, and he it paid off dividends. Now he's getting the most recognizable superhero of all time, so he doesn't have to worry about being obscure, but I'm curious to see what direction he takes this. But I think it's going to... It's his baby, and like I said, if it bombs, I don't think there's going to be anyone they can blame but him. See, his sensibilities work towards those misfit-type characters. That's what he built his trauma legacy on, for Christ's sake, his trauma legacy. And so to take, the, like you said, the most recognizable character and give it some emotional hafter, you know, if he fills this with Chris Pratt-type humor... I'm going to be so fucking pissed, and I, I'm not going to be asking for Zack Snyder back, but I just don't think that James Gunn is the answer. And it, this may blow up right in my face. This could be a whole Heath Ledger thing where, oh, God, he won't work. He won't work. And I could see the movie, and it could blow me away. But nothing I have seen, and go back and listen to that Suicide Squad review from last year, and we're going to get to Guardians eventually. Nothing I've seen from this guy, even his horror work, I have seen, and I said, yeah, that was a really good film. I'm just scared about what he's going to do. Adam? What about you, sir? I think he has the ability. I think as a director, I think he could do a really good job with it. Much to your point, I hope that the comedy that he decides to bring, I sure hope that's much more in line with with what Superman should be. As you both say, I, I don't need the crassness. That would completely put me off to what this is. But I do think he has the ability to bring a heart and loving story to comics characters. I think we've seen that. So I'm hoping that is what we get shown here. The casting, some of it I think is great. Some of it I don't need. I like his idea, though, as somebody who's going to lead this whole thing, that, hey, all this goes together. We're not going to have different characters in different realms other than the ones they're forced to currently with, you know, Robert Pattinson. You know, they weren't going to pay him off to make those go away. That if you cast somebody in this, that's going to be who they are across the TV, the games, animated, and movies. So, you know, live or die, make your choice, but that's what Gunn is doing here. And I'm all for it. Everything that comes out of DC, everybody wants to shit talk until they prove otherwise. And at this point, I think those fears are justified, you know, especially with Superman. People want the best. And it's been a long time since Superman has brought the best. Not since 78 has he felt like the best of us. So I'm hoping that's what we get. Well, he's cast this 30-year-old guy from House of Cards, this David Cornsweet, to be Superman. and Never heard know. of him, never seen him, but I'd never heard of Henry Cavill either. And I don't think he was the problem. No, Henry Cavill, as we've said, is, definitely hasn't been the problem with the Superman character. But it's just, it's an interesting casting choice. Like, I, I just, I wonder, you know, is he casting him because he thinks he can add emotional depth to this? Or is he casting him because he can deliver a line? That's what I'm scared of when it comes to James Gunn. As we've mentioned, Henry Cavill was not the problem with this character that we've seen for two straight movies. Three if you count Justice League. I, I wonder what kind of depth this character can add to this. I wonder if this actor can handle what this character is going to be. Matt, what do you think about this casting? I have no read on it. It's going to depend on what, how is James Gunn going to characterize Superman? Is he going to be, you know, very bright and promiscuous? Is he going to be, you know, a little bit more introverted because he's on the young side? It's going to depend on what Gunn gives him as far as direction. But I think Gunn is someone who's worked well with actors. I mean, let's be real. When Dave Bautista was cast in a major role in Guardians, people thought he had lost his mind. Because, like, you cast a wrestler 
as a major character. You know, I think in some of his other movies, he's done interesting casting. You know, people said the same thing about John Cena. It, it's going to depend on how he characterizes Superman, but Lo- the great choice for Lois Lane, but for God's sake, I'm done with Lois Lane. And if Lex, yeah. Luthor, if Lex Luthor is in this movie, I will be very upset. I don't care how good the interpretation is. I don't want to fucking see it again. The lowest thing has got me, because they cast somebody that everybody is so excited about, I'm worried how much of this is a lowest film. You know, that I don't know, I've never seen Miss Maisel. Marvelous, marvelous. Marvelous Miss Maisel. It's fantastic. Yeah. It's by the same girl who did Gilmore Girls. It's really good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just, you know, I'm, um, just I'm more I'm more disappointed with his casting of the Green Lantern that we have, because I think that's so, I think that's friend casting, not even fan casting at this point. So the rest of them I'm extremely excited about. But, yeah, I, I, I don't need a strong Lois part of this. And the Green Lantern thing, the time to cast Nathan Fillion as Green Lantern was ten years ago, not now. Because, like, he was the name everyone was talking about when the when the Ryan Reynolds movie was mm-hmm. got to be. Yep. He's playing a different Green Lantern, but can we get Jon Stewart, please? I mean, it's hard enough to get black representation as it is, unless you're Marvel. That's my hope, is that he is getting killed off early to bring about Jon Stewart. It'll be tough to get him off comedy stages at this point. Oh, not that one. You're talking about Jon Stewart, the Green Lantern. Well, that's um. not even on television anymore. <laughs> no. I, and I also hope that they do the Batman Begins thing where you escalate to bigger threats. I'd like to see something that takes place almost entirely in Smallville. Yeah. I, I don't want to see, you know, a swirling vortex of death in the sky. You know, give me Metallo, give me Parasite, give me something that you can have as a credible threat, but don't blow your wad with Lex Luthor or General Zod, for God's sake. Yeah, and we're getting Metamorpho, which I think is really cool. So, yeah, I think we are going to get that. James Gunn's a people pleaser, and I think he would upset a lot of people if he didn't put something about uh, Superman and being, being in Metropolis in the film, and I think we're going to get that. I think you could do something where it's him, because they, they've said like he's in like year two of being Superman or something like that. Because the, the details of the movie are pretty minimal as far as what we know, because it's, I believe it's still in the scripting phase. But give me a story all about Clark Kent. Make him the focal point. And it's about him having to rely on the Superman identity more. Do like the inverse of Batman v Superman, where it's like they spent so much time about Superman, quote unquote, that they forgot that Clark Kent's also a human being. Well, if there's anything I like about this announcement, boys, it's the fact that we're going to be in existence at that time, and we are all going to be seeing a Superman film for the first time together, and we will be reviewing it when that film comes out. And me and Matt are also going to be giving Adam a break as we go to the world of The Exorcist, and we prep for that film. We're getting Mick involved, McDuffie, who we brought on for Texas Chainsaw and a few other franchises together. That's going to be a fun series to go through. I don't know how I'm feeling about this new film. We'll talk about it more as it arrives, but these posters, these trailers that I'm seeing, I'm more amped up than I was for Halloween, but not much. Stay tuned. Matt's posting the Jet shows, and we're going to be back to recording the wrestling shows again here pretty soon. So much going on at the Percolator Media site. Boys, thank you for rejoining me for Batman v Superman. We're going to put this behind and never watch it again until we get to Wonder Woman, huh? Guess not. (laughs) Until next week, do you like listening to podcasts? You will. Thank you, gentlemen.
But once more, we survived the threat of war and found a fragile peace. I thought I could give you all the gift of the freedom from war, but I was wrong. It's not mine to give. We're still a young planet. There are galaxies out there, other civilizations for us to meet, to learn from. What a brilliant future we could have. And there will be peace. There will be peace when the people of the world want it so badly that their governments will have no choice but to give it to them. I just wish you could all see the Earth the way that I see it. Because when you really look at it, it's just one world. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Three Men in a Retrospective Podcast. Join us next week for an entirely new review. I see you are practiced in worshipping things that fly. Men in a Retrospective podcast is produced by Garrett, Matt, Adam, and Nathan. Mind over muscle. Edited by Garrett. Hey, that man's a miracle. Voiceovers by Adam. Ruler of Australia, activate the mission. The Three Men and a Retrospective Podcast is for review and discussion and all clips music, and audio cues are used as such. feelings. We all have our little faults. Mine's in California. Sad that we weren't able to do both franchises leading up to that particular movie like I had done over at the other place. I wanted... Oh, my cat just jumped on the keyboard. Um, <laughs> I wanted to... Yeah, let's see how this first one goes and then we'll go from there. Okay. Adam, you good with that? Surely. Don't call me Shirley. Um, <laughs> Dude, he threw it right down the fucking middle. What was I supposed to do?
Yeah, yeah, lock that up. You take the strike and wait for a better one. <laughs> I did what the Mets haven't done all year. I actually hit it out of the park. Uh, uh, good thing we don't have Mets. It's a good thing we don't have a Mets podcast. I, I am I so glad. Yelling, I'd be yelling and screaming on those shows. I am Ugh, so glad. Fuck you all. <laughs> Ooh, baseball. Ooh, the Mets. <laughs> they fucking suck. It's tragic. The highest payroll and they suck. Doesn't that suck, Adam? That's, isn't that a tragedy? My oh, minor my. league teams out-freaking, <laughs> out-draw my major league team. Mm. Their, their double-A and triple-A teams are pulling higher fucking crowds. <sighs> All right. You guys ready? We're going to do Batman v Superman first, right? Super. I, I will for the second time, yeah. <laughs> this, is un- this is unprecedented. I can't believe we're fucking doing this. They've got the movie twice in a row. <laughs> Not twice in a row, but a year and a half in between. That's how the Justice League actors felt a few years later. You're not kidding. Yeah, except at least in this movie, Ben Affleck looks the same. <laughs> Adam, give me a, or Matt, give me a countdown. We'll get going here. <laughs> Well, they did ask Christian Bale to come back, and he asked for a pretty hefty paycheck, apparently. And he said, ask Chris if it's okay. <laughs> well, was, Chris's name is on this as a producer. He was busy rebuilding a Terminator Terminator franchise at that time. No, no. No, that, this that, was years after. No? Yeah, yeah this was about was seven years later. Yeah. Oh, damn. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of franchises that tried to restart, I mean, that is, that is the trilogy... Salvation, Genesis, and Deep Fate of trying to jumpstart new trilogies. <laughs> yeah. We see Bruce being invited to a party being thrown by Lex, so to him it'll be the perfect opportunity to ask Lex some questions. Get off the computer. Jesus. <laughs> Fuck. He just jumps up. She just jumps up and like jumps right on the keyboard, and I'm thinking, oh gosh, she's going to hit stop, isn't she? Well, if you stop misgendering your cat, maybe they wouldn't be so pissed. <laughs> <laughs> Clark, hey, I mixed you guys up too, by the way. They don't feel like characters. This feels like someone playing with action figures that are scattered all over the place and crushed under that car. Because once again, I want to reiterate, Batman murders probably like 10 people in the scene at bare minimum. Two things. Oh, shit, we already did Batman. But okay, love the Batmobile. Um, Yeah, it's weird because... Would that have been the situation here? Eh, maybe, maybe not, but that doesn't mean you had to give them more to do either. It also gets soups to approach Lex, so I guess you accomplished that. We then get... Oh, go ahead. No, no, no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we then get Lex... Yeah, because Smallville it looked like shit, too, but I gave them an excuse. It was on a TV budget. It did look like no. shit, and that whole story was told like shit, too. Oh, my God, did I hate how they handled Doomsday in that show. He was an ambulance worker. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Oh, don't even... Yeah. Oh, <laughs> don't get me started. Yeah, but please tell me more about how Adam and I should give the show a chance. <laughs> that was in the later seasons. That was in season I'm, eight or nine. I'm, so. I'm enjoying listening to Talkville podcast. That's all I need. <laughs> I'm going through it that way. We'll go through it. Don't worry. When our schedules match up, we'll go. Even with Doomsday, and when Doomsday showed up, I should have known this was coming. One, I love this score. What is it, part of my world? No, not part of my world. That's Little Mermaid. That's Little Mermaid. (laughs) God dang it. Thanks, Disney Plus. But I love this piece of music. I guess it died of acid indigestion.